0: The fighting is done. I step into the light of your great love. I'm breathing, breathing again. You tore the bag that was on my head. I don't have. I don't want to fight you Never heard of the sun and the sky What I was missing
1: This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Welcome to Endurance Church. My name is Pastor Anthony Bass. I believe you're in for a great service today. I am so excited because I heard Christy during worship go, whoa! Did you hear that? <laughs> we are growing as a church because Christy went, wow, trust me. Am I, am I real? I'm real. <laughs> Pretty soon you know what's next, Christy. <laughs> We're going there. We are at the end of a year-long sermon series called The Teachings of Jesus Christ. And the reason why we talked about the teachings of Jesus Christ over the past year is because when we talk about salvation, I believe salvation obviously is trusting God or having faith in God. But there's more to it. There's trusting the words of Jesus Christ, obeying what Jesus says, trusting the character of God. Over the next year, we're going to talk about the heart of God and what's God's heart for you. Nothing like talking about the Father's heart. I hope we have some great different uh, analogies and examples, but when you understand God's heart for you, you, I believe you understand all the good God has in store for you if you continue to trust Him in the future. And then the next year, we're going to cover the Holy Spirit, or being led by the Spirit of God. From Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit is there. We are a church that believes in the present-day incarnation, expression of the Holy Spirit, and our hope is as we continue to grow as a church, that will be a big part of who we are and how we function as a church. Today, we're still on uh, the book of Revelations. We're coming to the end of the first section of the book of Revelation. In this book, John is communicating what Jesus Christ was given, Jesus was given it by God, about Jesus Christ. I had a great video I was sitting this week about math and how Math reveals God. It was an awesome video. I watched it honestly about three or four times. I probably watched it at least a thousand more times because I loved it so much. But to think about math itself—think about math. Math itself is never seen. We don't see math. Has anyone, anybody, seen any numbers? Let me say this: Has anybody seen numbers? So, anybody, have you ever seen a number in your life? Nobody's raised their hand. No one's seen numbers. It's a trick question. You know how I try to set you up. That's why you're not raising your hand. But numbers themselves are concepts. We don't see the numbers. We see symbols of the numbers. Isn't that interesting? Numbers existed before the earth. We've never, but we believe in numbers. We're confident in numbers. Our bank account hopefully is positive. Jared, if not, we have a guy that can help you with that. But nevertheless, we'll never see numbers ever, as they really are in concepts. But nevertheless, you won't see God either. God was revealed to us through Jesus Christ, the Father. Just as numbers are revealed to us through symbols, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, revealed to us who God is, His character. And today, as we're coming to the end of the series on Jesus' communication or His perspective of the churches of Asia Minor, keep this in mind. When Jesus Christ rebukes, he's not trying to hurt people, scare people. He's trying to show you he loves you. I went to uh, the Cleveland Connect this week and had a extensive three to four day physical. Took my family down to four day. Okay, I thought it was three, it was four. I took my family down there with me and they prod and prodded and I'm gonna see you the same word a thousand times they poked and stuck and went inside every part of my body every part they did a thorough diagnostic check of my body and they went and found stuff some stuff was good some stuff wasn't so good now there was a part in it where they discovered a what is it called lymph node swollen right And so many of y'all, that's a scary thing because that could mean what? Cancer. So I discovered this on day one, that I had some swollen lymph nodes. And then they're like, we got to get you seen right away. And I'm like, whoa. So immediately fear, like, jumped in, right? I'm like, oh, no, I'm dying. What about the church? Who's going to be the next pastor? What about my wife? What about insurance? Like, I'm going to get to the, I'm thinking about all this stuff. This is endurance. So then I got an MRI. Now, who has got an MRI before? And when you get an MRI, what do they do? They put you in that, like, coffin. And they slide you in there, and they tell you to stay still for what? How many minutes? 20 minutes. Now, I'm 30, oh please, I couldn't even take it. So nevertheless, they told me to be still. I've never been afraid of that, but because of the lymph nodes, fear has taken hold. And I'm in there freaking out. And if you're scared, you get to press the what? The little button, and you roll you out. So, so I'm going in. I'm going crazy. I'm like, what is happening to me? I'm petrified in this MRI. So I said, how can I fight this? Because they put a little cover over my eyes so I couldn't see how close I really was in there and how I couldn't move because I'm, I'm stuck 20 minutes. So I said, turn on some jazz music. Do something. I'm trying to think about football games in the past, good memories, nothing's working. So the one thing I did, I said this. This is what got me through. My mouth is getting dry. I'm starting to choke. I got to burp, but I can't lay down and burp. I'll, I'll die, right? Because I'm in fear. So the one thing that I kept reciting over and over was this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down and he leaves aside. He so so for twenty minutes. I'm like fear comes on me. I'm like the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now God didn't take me out of that situation. I never felt the Holy Spirit empower me and change my thinking. I'm trembling, and then when the lady showed me the x ray, she's like, Oh, you little. And she was uh, like uh, from Colombia, or no, she was from uh, Eastern Europe. She said, Oh, I see you are a little claustrophobic. I see all the movement in there. Oh, scary, scary, right? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he never changed anything, but I knew where to go when I needed help. If you ask me what my hope is as a pastor, as the church grows, my hope is that you, when you're in trouble, you'll turn to Jesus. That's the only way I win. I will be a failure as a pastor if this church becomes 20,000 members, 27 a million people. We, we're an international ministry and I'm an international super apostle and you don't turn to Jesus when you're in trouble, I'll fail. But understand, Jesus Christ will correct you. Now, I'm in there. I get through it. I'm thanking God it's over. Finally, day four comes. And day four comes, and I go to the ear, ear nose, and throat doctor, right? So I'm going in there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm going in this place. And, I'm going, am I going to die, right? Are they going to see cancer? I don't know. Because they never told me. All the other stuff is lining up. You're getting old, old you're getting old, you're eating too much. Your cholesterol is getting high, but you're, you're still good. My, I was pre-hypertension, but I changed and went to the Daniel Fast. Now I'm no longer pre-hypertensive. My, I'm, I'm okay now, so fasting and dieting work. I go in there, and the guy's looking at me, and he says, oh, yeah, we're talking, and he says, you know what? Um... Um, what do you do? What school do you go to? I said, I went to U- Reed University of Virginia Beach. It's the doctor who's looking at me. He said, oh, Virginia Beach. I have a friend that went to Reed University of Virginia Beach. His name is, I'm going, Charles Fox? Like, I knew this very person. He's like, oh, my gosh, you know Charles Fox? How I said, he was at my wedding. And we're showing pictures like, he's, oh, wow. He said, man, it's hard to find a good church. I'm like, don't give up. They're out there. So anyway, the, the real doctor came in, and he said, we're going to do a scope. So have you seen Total Recall? Anybody, the first one? <laughs> anybody seen the first Total Recall? <laughs> you, it. you're the one who appreciates this right now. <laughs> so the first Total Recall, if you go and watch I would have the YouTube video up right now. Art right, of they had like this chip in his brain, and they had to stick this tube up in his nose, and it latched onto this homing beacon, and pulled up and his nose went, oh! it was just like, oh, so I'm not exaggerating too much at all. They took this long cord. It looked like, um, I'm using a lot of movie references to make this clear. the matrix, right? <laughs> and in the major, they had a little like scorpion thing to went inside of the belly button, right? So they had this long cord, like hold still. You feel a little pressure. And they go in my nose and keep going in my nose and down my throat. And they're looking at her asking me questions. How you doing? How's the days going? What you you played pro football, did you? Oh, this is great. And I'm like, oh, he's fine. Pull it out. He's good. I'm like, oh. You're okay, but if you see uh, this mask on, please come and check us out. Now, I say all this to say when they first told me that my left nose was swollen. I thought, I need to run. I need not pay attention. I don't even want to know it. If I just don't think about it, I'll be okay. I said, this is the very last appointment. They added on to the end, but if I skip this appointment, I'll never know. And then I won't be scared. And if I'm not thinking about it, then maybe it's not real. But I had to do the the hard thing. I had to face the facts. I could have been in trouble. And if I don't catch it early, if I don't check it now, I could be in a world of hurt later. Whenever Jesus Christ says, repent, he's saying you're in trouble. It's an act of love. You just have to have the courage to follow through, to look in the darkness. And say, okay, whatever I see, I trust you, God, that you're here with me. And if you have to have this quote, this sermon, this scripture in your mind, the Lord is my shepherd to help you get over what you see, understand it's okay because he's right there with you. He promises to be there with you until the end of the age. Got this quote. I love it. It says, "Ye call me. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me way and follow me not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and acknowledge me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. There's a scripture that always befuddled me for years and years as I read it because I had no clue what it meant. And it's actually so simple if you see it as it is. But it's actually foreshadowed. I never put two scriptures together, but I did that today because I thought it was important because the point we're going to make is a new point. Jesus actually made this point earlier to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 7, when he's talking in the Beatitude, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he comes to almost, the, he makes this point right here, it's called, I Never Knew You, that's the subtitle of this section. And Jesus is talking, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop right there. Isn't it interesting? He said, every, this is a fact. Every single person who calls me Lord will not go to heaven. This is an f- objective fact. That scripture terrified me. Those words scared me to death until I came to this conclusion. But, but is a contrast. And whenever you see a contrast, everything before it contrasts, what comes after it? And what comes after is he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what are these saying there? If you call him Lord, yet you don't do his will there's a consequence. If you call him Lord and do his will, there is a consequence. These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. And I don't care if you're Calvinist or Armenianist. I don't care what your theology is. The point is Jesus is pretty clear here. Do his will. He goes on to say, many will say to me in that day, many will say, many will say, Lord, Lord, how we now prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The key points here are this. Number one, he says the person who gets in is the one who does the will of God. Number two, the people who don't get in are the people who practice lawlessness or don't do the will of God. There was people here in chapter 20, in verse 22 on, they were doing great things in his name. In his name they were doing, stuff. I'll do this for God's glory. I'm going to do this for Jesus. And Jesus said, look, do what I say. Don't do what you want to do and claim it to be Christianity. Don't do what you want to do and say, this is what I want to do for Jesus. He's like, that means nothing. He's clear. Do the will of God. Yes. i get you, Maximus. Yes. Last quote, Francis Chan says, lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such actions is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. In conclusion, we've been talking about these churches Jesus wrote to in Asia Minor. These, this area is now Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Every church had a particular name, whether it was Ephesus, which was desired, Smyrna, which meant, in a sense, like the, to be crushed or, or death, Pergamon, mixed marriage, Thyatira, which meant daughter, uh, Sardis, which had no name. Philadelphia, Brotherly Love, all these titles were important to understand what Jesus was specifically saying to each church. And lastly today, we're going to talk about the area of Leo Sedia. Leo means people, and Sedia means ruled by people. So basically, he's talking to a church who is ruled by the people and not ruled by who? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the ruler of every church. He's the head and no one else. And understanding that, you understand what his issue is with this last church. Every church had a condemnation. I mean, it's something they were being rebuked for. But every church also had a sense an affirmation, something they were commended on from doing well. This is the one church where nothing good is spoken about. it. Not one thing. Everything from the beginning onset of the letter to the end is basically you're in trouble, you're in trouble, you're in trouble. But understand, Jesus isn't saying you're in trouble to scare them, to hurt their feelings. He's tried to say turn around because he loves them. I always say it's like football. When I was playing football, this wise person told me this. He said, Bass, understand this. As long as they're yelling at you, that's a good thing. I said, how could being yelled that be a good thing? He said, because it means they care enough to be thinking about you. And as soon as they stop thinking about you, you could do whatever you want, and they won't say a thing, and they'll start yelling at somebody else. They yell because they care. Jesus rebukes because he loves. Jesus chastises those that he loves. Laosidia is an interesting place. It's it's the last church talked about, but it's actually an interesting place because it's very wealthy. It was the banking hub of the entire area. They were extremely wealthy. They were so wealthy that, in a sense, when they had an earthquake in the year 60 AD, they needed no help from Rome to rebuild itself. Now, unlike, in a sense, uh, Sardis, who needed help after an earthquake in 70 A.D. to rebuild itself, Laosidea needed none. They pulled itself up by its own bootstraps. They were a very self-sufficient group of people. They needed no help by nobody. They're the type of church that would say, Oh, no, hold up. I got it. Don't help me. I could do this myself. This church was also wealthy because it had a place where medical centers started, and they had this eye salve salve that started there to help people who were, in a sense, having eye and ear problems. Also, this place was interesting because it was a place where they had sheep. I don't know if you know during that day and time, the wool was something very expensive. And they could sell it, so they were exporting all this products that resulted in this place becoming a banking hub for the entire area. Laosidia is rich and wealthy. Laosidia has one problem. They had no spring. They had no place or source where water came from. In order for Laosidia to, to get water, they had to go, to, in a sense, to two other sources. So Colasse, which was, I think, north of it, had cool water. And this water had to run through a pipe. And as it traveled through the pipe, it would eventually get to Now. On the other side, it was Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis had these hot, bubbling waters that was medicinal. They, they healed people. And if you remember, there were times in, in, the, in the Gospels where people would jump in the water when it was bubbling, and they would be healed by this bubbling water. Well, this was what Hierapolis had. They, too, had a pipe that ran through Laodicea, But the problem with both of them is by the time the water went from Hierapolis and got to Laodicea, it was what? Luke warm. And I don't know about you. Now, personally, I could drink room temperature water. But that's a learned skill. Because naturally, you want cold water. Now, to make it the point more hopefully clear, The heat in this area during the summer months to get between 100 to 120 degrees. Now, when the weather is that hot, what is more important than a what? A cold glass of water. Now, the church finds itself in trouble because what they wanted is what they really had. They had something in it that was not appealing. Hot water can be useful for what, anyone? Co- oh, no. <laughs> well, during that day of time, in that part of the world, coffee wasn't an answer, but ah oh, yes, well, coffee can be a use of hot water. Say it again. That's also another, anybody else? Hot water is what? Useful. That's the point. Hot water has a purpose. So many people go to Laos today and they use this quote about either being hot or cold and they misapply what the world it means. Some people say, oh, I'd rather be hot or cold because I don't want to be spewed out the Lord's mouth. So some people they find that, oh, I'm I'm in this middle of this place, so I'm just gonna go ahead and be super cold so God can use me. And that's not what that's saying. What this is saying is we said the hot water was useful, right? I'll get back to that one. Cold water is also what? Useful. In 120 degree weather, this could be like. I can't even say, I'll use a beer and Y'all go like, pastor, no. It could be like Gatorade. Refreshing. Or sweet tea on a hot summer day out on the porch in Georgia, right? It could be just refreshing. But the problem is, this is nasty. It's 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 disgusting. And I'm gonna show you how disgusting this water, which is not useful because it can't be drink or you can't use it for anything helpful. It, it, it has no use. And because it's not useful, it has to be vomited. Got a couple scriptures I wanna we'll get out of here. And verse 14 says, "'And to the angel of the church of the Laosideans, write, These things says the amen. And remember, this church has a problem. The problem is they are self-sufficient. They're not dependent upon Jesus. They're not under the authority of God. They're existing, but not dependent upon him. And if you want to get to the root of Satan's sin, it was independence, I could do it my way. Didn't Frank Sinatra have a song, something like that? I did this thing. I was waiting for you, Kenny. He did it my way, baby. And he did it his way, and doing it your way is catastrophic in Jesus' mind. He goes on to say, these things says the amen. Isn't that awesome? Jesus calls himself the Amen. Now, when you preach sometimes, the people say what? As a response to what's being said, but Jesus says, look, you can call me a lot of things. He said, but a name I like to call myself is a man," which is truth. Like, there's no words to articulate who he is, but he is the source of truth. There is no truth that exists outside of Jesus Christ. He is the faithful and true witness. Now understand, what faithfulness has been every time in the book of Revelations. a faithful witness was one who was martyred. Every time in Revelations, you see someone who was faithful, meaning they remain faithful to God despite death. True means sure. He was trustworthy, and he was faithful until he died. The last title he gave himself, the beginning of the creation of God. Here is not saying Jesus Christ was created, but he's trying to communicate he is the source of creation itself. Why is this important? Because here Jesus is saying, I alone am worthy to be obeyed. If anybody needs to be obeyed, it's me. Period. He goes on to say, I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you were cold or hot. He said, I wish you were useful. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will, and these are his words, not mine, I will regurgitate you out of my mouth. Does anybody want to drink this water? Because the cup don't look too clean because we didn't clean it at all, right? It's, it adds to the effect of it. I don't want to. No, I'm not going to even try that. But you get the point. Jesus can't do anything with this church. Remember, Jesus was going to a certain town. The scripture says he could not do many miracles there because of what? Their unbelief. Their lack of dependency on God made them ineffectual for the plans of God. We can't do ministry, we can't change the world unless we are dependent on God. Now, if we do stuff in our own strength, we could be effective and successful. Humans have built great things outside of God, but you can't do anything effective for God. We can do great things in his name, but doing stuff in his name is not doing what he wants. Because I say, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. Because you are prospering. You got it all together. The ducks in a row, you got rid of all your debt. You're in financial peace. You're freedom. (laughs) Your bank roll is getting fat. You're living a good life. They're like, huh, what do I need to go to God for? I got it all covered. I'm healthy. I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm good. And you don't even know that you are wretched. Jesus' words, not mine. Miserable, poor, blind, and naked. These are harsh words, but I can sum it up really quickly. Jesus says this, and I, I work for this one. Jesus says, you are embarrassing. You're embarrassing me. You think you got it so much together, but that ain't leading people closer to me. That's why Jesus looks for broken people, weak people, so that when things happen, they're more willing to give God the glory than take it for themselves. Now, we can say all day, oh, I'm doing this for God, but pride is a subtle monster, Pride, can it get you to the NFL? It could get you on the stage doing all these fitness poses, people looking at you, thinking you're fine, fine, right? That's what pride does, right? <laughs> but understand, pride is a monster. God hates pride. And people have pride for so many things that understand God is opposed to the proud, Humble yourself under God's hand, and he will exalt you in due time. But God doesn't want to exalt you and give you something that will destroy you. Now, he'll give it to you to keep asking for it, but sometimes you should not ask. Specifically, if he says no. God is trying to make sure your character is going to line up with the calling Jesus says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. This is a hard one. We understand how gold is purified and the process it goes to, but understand spiritually what he's trying to say. There's some things that you get by your own intellectual capabilities, but there's other things you only get from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're trying to tell you here at church, how do you know who God is? How do you hear from God for yourself? Because once you know God for yourself, once you see God move in your life, once God protects you, now you're going to go through something, everybody understands that, for you to come to that understanding. I had to go through the MRI, the scary, scary. I had to go through the valley of the shadow of the MRI, and I had to call the name of the when I was up in that thing. Like, oh, Lord, you're my shepherd. I shouted out when my voice would get, I couldn't, I was in trouble. But I know he protected me through that storm. And now I look in the future of my life and I see storm clouds are brewing. But now I can walk a little bit more confidently because I know he can get me through that. He can get me through what's ahead. That's an experience that I got that can never be taken away from me. That's gold a faith. A character has been refined by fire. He says, get this so that you may be rich in God. And white garments, buy this from him, that you may be clothed. He's referencing the wool that was in the area. He said, your guys are rich because of the wool you're selling. He said, you guys are rich. He said, but you're poor, but you're, you can be rich in me. And you can be clothed with white garments, which means righteousness. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. We're almost done. And he goes, anoint your eyes with eyes sad that you may see. This is a clear reference here, which I thought originally it was, but I now know it clearly it was, was pride. I've been in pro sports. I've seen people proud when I was in the sports world, like it's so easy to see a proud athlete, is it not? Oh, they're braggadocious. They're so boastful. But I went to academic institutions as well, and I've seen just as much pride there as well. Currently I have a job where I talk to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and you still see the same pride oozing from their pores. Pride is a monster. But when you have pride, the one thing that always happens, you can't see yourself. You are blinded to yourself. How many people can testify to that? When you're caught in pride, you won't even see what in the world you're doing. The the, the bodies laying behind you all dead and beat up and broken because of your pride. Anoint your eyes with sad that you may see. 19, the last point. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 20 scariest point. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and sup with him, and he with me. The scariest point he's talking to the church, but Jesus is on the outside of the door. We get we got have 18 sermons on that right there. This is not a message of salvation to unbelievers. This is a call to repentance for believers. These are unbelievers. These are believers who need to know Jesus on the outside. Cause once you're in control, once you're driving the ship, once you're the captain, he ain't in the ship. He done stepped off. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne and I will also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A couple points, and we're out of here. Point one: Jesus considers a repulsive church to be a church that's not dependent upon Him. Now, understand: in that letter, He said He singularly, first person singular, He or She who overcomes. So, despite the scathing rebuke this church of Laodicea received, there's individuals there who, if they respond, can be right with God. He does not tell them to lead the church, though. That's what always bugs me out. He says, repent. Get it right. Know what a successful church looks like to Jesus. Jesus has a blueprint, a profile of what he thinks a godly church should look like. And understand, the church of Laodicea did not think it was off. They thought they were balling, boss hog balling, like in the Dukes of Hazard. They thought, we got it all good. We living it high. We living. We do it as they yeah. Jesus, is like, I rebuke you. And they're like, what? Jesus has a different perspective on church than what humans do. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We need to remain dependent upon Jesus. We can have the cool music playing. Why do we need to remain dependent upon Him so that we can overcome and sit with Him on His throne? Now, I don't know how this happens empirically. But when Jesus Christ died and went to heaven, he is sitting on his father's throne. But one day he's going to sit on David's throne. And does anyone know where David's throne is going to be located? In what city? Jerusalem. Now get this. He says we can sit with him on his throne. There's a reward for your faithfulness. There's a reward for trusting him. there's a reward for being hot or cold you are in a race it doesn't mean you're going to be in first place at the onset it doesn't mean you start off well coming out the starters blocks but this is not a sprint have you discovered that this is a marathon marathon You all get that 26.2, put on the back of your car all you want. But the race is much longer than that. It's actually that race that comes between your birth and your death. It's that little hyphen in between. I don't know where you are on your journey. Jesus says tomorrow is not promised. So what makes sense with that being true? What makes sense for me as a husband? As a father, as a brother, as a friend, to fall in love with him. That's what he's asking. He's saying, open the door so I can spend time with you. I wanna know you. I want you to look in my eyes. I wanna hug you, I wanna hold you. I wanna be the one who takes care of you. He's like, if you could do this here in this life, then I have no problems with you for eternity your test win your race live well finish strong Jesus let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you that you just want to love us so we avail ourselves to you right now we've made mistakes Lord God we're not perfect Lord God but you're not asking me faultless or sinless ask us to sin less and trust you more. Is there anyone in here today that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you're here today, you want to give your heart, you want to recommit, you want to come back home to the Father where it's safe. The way every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I ask you just to raise your hand and put it down and I pray for you today. Is there one in here that you don't know? Him? Amen. I want to pray for you. Lord bless this church strengthen it build it up we pray for your grace and your love we pray Lord God where my words weren't heard because of the screaming children Father God that you will pour your spirit in where there were distractions throughout the service Father God we pray Father God you bring back to their minds the words you want them to hear. we pray Father God we leave here changed fill this place up with your glory help us seek your will not our own in his name we pray for all eternity. Amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com endurancechurch, and like us on Facebook at facebook.com endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live
0: well and finish strong. Oh, no.